Welcome to 2024, everyone. I had an amazing year in 2023, so many exciting adventures with the Boat Princess and uh, boating in general around the world. And 2024 is set to be just as exciting. So I look forward to uh, sharing with you some incredible stories from incredible people in 2024 all over the world. Take care, guys, and I'll see you on the water soon. Hi, and welcome to the Boat Princess podcast. My name is Nikki Vo, and I'm your host. I am a boat owner, a marina owner, a director on the Marina Industries Association, and a huge advocate for boating. In this series, I'm sharing the stories from every nook of the boating industry with the intention of encouraging more women to join me and for more women to get behind the helm too. I want to share the experience and opportunities of boating, of the boating industry, and I want you to join me as I bring the conversations and answer all the questions you've had. Boating is not just for the glamorous and rich and famous. It's full of beautiful and interesting people making the most of our natural environment and getting out there, enjoying the waterways. So let's set off the lines, take over the helm and escape to the world of boating. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Boat Princess podcast. I've got a great one for you today because I am talking to Meg Riley from the Magenta Project here at Met's Trade in Amsterdam. Meg, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So happy to be here. <laughs> this is a really important project and we need to tell our audience about this. So Tell me your role as executive director at Magenta, but a lot of the other people involved in Magenta are actually volunteers, right? Everyone. <laughs> and go. I started I started myself as a volunteer with the Magenta Project in 2021 as a mentor. Um, that is the main, I guess, flagship program of the Magenta Project, a international nonprofit to really help advance more equity and inclusion in the sailing industry. So uh, we have a network of volunteers from around the world, from our esteemed uh, board members who are our executive leaders, both in sailing and in their own, you know, brands from Investec to Burger King. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then also all of our volunteers um, and a lot of past mentees, mentors. It's just a global community that really wants to support each other. So we have a shared mission and it's not hard to get people to want to invest in that. That's fantastic. So how did the Magenta Project come about? A great history story. Um, I think people may be familiar with the team SCA of the Volvo Ocean Race, all-female team. Um, they were shown their boat and one of the female crew members uh, had famously said, I'm not sailing around the world on a pink boat. And they said, well, that's great because it's magenta. Ah. <laughs> so that's how that came about. Um, I think it's really about also women redefining femininity, our space within a co-ed sport. And so um, I think magenta is a, is a color that it's not pink, it's powerful. It's the Pantone color of the year, which embraces innovation and, you know, um, just 
people who are changing the the context and color of our our world. And I think it's a really appropriate color to um, to build that entire idea around, really. And who actually started it? It was Team SCA, crew okay. members of Team SCA coming out of the Volvo Ocean Race, really by a, a, a debilitating need, essentially. These women had just triumphantly sailed around the world. Um, they had placed first place into Lorient, so it's not like they could not compete. However, they look around at their other um, male counterparts on other teams who are already receiving phone calls, offers, and everything before the race even finished. And yet these women were not getting phone calls. They were not getting recruited despite them proving themselves on as an equal playing, playing field yeah. <laughs> with the men. So this was really out of self-advocacy and yeah. need for that because nobody else is going to advocate for you. So as a group, they said, this is, this is not right. We need to do something about this. So what can we do? And part of it, you know, was hearing that, you know, first it was just that there weren't opportunities. So we were making connections to build opportunities. Oh, well, then the skill level's not there. So we're building clinics and things like that. Oh, the confidence isn't there. So we built the mentorship program. So each challenge, we've come up with a solution. Um, and I think it's really a global one, too, where we have a lot of men and women who are dedicated to really pushing that impact. So it came from a team that knew what it takes, um, but also that it can't be a single endeavor, that the entire community really need to get behind it. So this was the call to arms. Yeah. So just for those of us, that, the, the, for those listening that aren't involved in the sailing community, mm -hmm. those phone calls that were coming in to those guys where are those phone calls coming from and what are they saying? So the phone calls are coming from, so this was the Volvo Ocean Race that we're talking about. It's an event that was running on a three-year cycle. So after your year-long campaign, two-year campaign, you'd had some, some, quite some time off where you needed to go find another gig. So even the best men in our industry still run on gig cycles. You know, America's Cup every few years, same thing, Olympics. So um, they were getting calls from their buddies. They were getting calls from the male owners. They were getting calls from their network that knew that they just were about to finish a race and they wanted to snatch up the top talent. Um, fortunately, the owners or, or whoever weren't seeing it the same way to then call these women. Or maybe they just didn't even have them in their phone books. Yeah. Uh, the connections weren't made. All-female team then can also be isolating where you don't have those connections. So we're definitely pushing for co-ed teams to connect women, to not separate them, um, and so that we can really help elevate talent and uh, have everybody invested in the responsibility too, that it's not just the women, that it's the men that need to want to invest in training and providing opportunities because we know that we've had centuries of, um, you know, being behind and we have yeah. a lot of time to make up for. Yeah, yeah. It's great that you're, you're really focusing in on a, a real need. Um, and, and how are you, how are you focusing in on that? What do you, what, what does Magenta Project actually do? So our flagship program is the mentoring program. That is a nine month scheme. It's been running since 2018. It's gone through many evolutions and expansions as we continue to, first it was just for women in professional sailing. So racers, then it's expanded to women in shoreside roles and STEM. 
We have a few engineers in our program this year and also expanding internationally. So it was originally a UK-based charity. Um, we've expanded all over Europe initially, uh, going into the Americas in the past couple of years. As you may tell, that's where I'm from. And, um, and now we are focusing our expansion into Australasia, actually. And we understand that it's difficult for our Southern Hemisphere friends or those in the Eastern Hemisphere to feel connected to really the hub. Even in America, I feel separate from where really the heart of the industry is happening in Europe. So that by having a global network, we can really connect everybody together and that this mentoring program is now allowing a structure, a connection platform um, where also companies are now coming to us and, and wanting to solve their recruitment needs and social sustainability policies internally and seeing that you know, since 2018, we've supported over 200 women who are developing their careers internationally. Um, this year, we have two women from Japan, which is a new market expansion. Out of 35 women, two being from Japan is fantastic. So we want to encourage people. We have a woman from South Africa this year, so now looking into African expansion. So it's a truly global program. And anywhere you go at these international events, we have a Magenta Meetup right after this, yeah. and you can find us there. Um, and I think that that visibility the community to know that, you know, these women who may feel in their isolated communities alone, that they actually aren't. And there's an entire community out there that want to support them. So you're, it's not only female diversity, it's cultural diversity Absolutely. all over the world as well. That's fantastic. Well, I think really women are the gateway to diversity. And I think if we can figure out how to make women who are not minorities, but are treated like them. Yeah. Um, if we can figure out how to make women feel welcome in male-dominated spaces, and we know sailing is not only male-dominated, but white male-dominated, rich white male-dominated. And so there are different things that we're doing to help break down also that brand identity of sailing, yeah. that it is it can be an inclusive sport. However, that comes through media. So like your podcast, it's great to have female voices, you know, within the marine industry. Um, Magenta Project is a platform that highlights female achievement. And I think that that's really important, that it's not just some brands use it as pink washing or, yes. you know, different ways where it's not as seen as authentic. Because yeah. then you can go to an event like Mets and still see in, you know, the Dame Awards that the majority of the stage is still filled with men. Yes. And you still see that. But we do see that every year I go to these events, there's more and more women present. So I think that it is still a forward moving trajectory, a train that is not going to stop. No, <laughs> Sorry, exactly guys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're going, we're picking up momentum. But um, the great thing is, is that there are many men who are joining us. Um, who see this as equally their responsibility in space. And the more that they have women on board, they realize what was missing. And that, wow, women actually not only can equally be part of our team, but our team is now that something else with a female um, member. And even more so as you continue to reach those equity levels um, to have that representation. Teams act more like families. Teams act more empathetically. And this is not exclusive to sailboats either. You yeah. see it in any kind of industry where if there are more female leaders, you, you tend to have a more empathic organization. Absolutely. And more profitable if you put one on your board. I there you go. <laughs> so those are true metrics. <laughs> true metrics. So um, in terms of that's the mentoring program you do. 
I think there's something else you do at the Magenta Project as well, isn't there? Tell me about that. So we have quite a few other things that we do. (laughs) We do clinics, workshops, and advocacy work. So clinics, clinics and workshops fulfill our talent development side of our our mission and program in order to reach the equity, we need to develop the talent to be able to serve that. So from the mentoring program, we also have different clinics. We just hosted one a couple of hour go- hours ago here okay, in the great. room right next to where we're recording yeah. um, with Future Fibers. Okay. So that was a STEM-based career workshop where they had um, shared with us the different opportunities for women. And particularly Future Fibers has equal opportunity as an employer, plus a gender equality policy within the company, and therefore have, because of those plans and policies, dedication to this internally, social sustainability being a core value for the company, and innovation and everything, that they actually have 30% of their workforce as female, which for the marine industry is is very high. That's very high. For technical roles, extremely high. And so you can see actually results that if a company makes it part of their core values, that actually they will achieve them. And we're seeing that with Future Fibers and our relationship with them. And so we really encourage companies that are interested in bringing in more women. I think you should be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, see what uh, what you're missing, really. Yes. Um, and you know what you're missing, too, if you do have female members. And I know that the recruitment issues are there in terms of accessibility, confidence, training, and we're working really hard to break down those barriers, um, but also encouraging companies to come to the Magenta Project to discuss these needs because they don't often have the expertise. The policies are written by men. How can you fit that into, you know, that different way of thinking if you don't think that way? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there is a saying that what you focus on grows. So if they've actually put some policies together and they're actually focusing on that space, it will almost automatically happen. Absolutely. You know, which is, it, that's just fantastic. You know, I don't, I don't think we should set, you know, minimum quotas and all those sorts of things. I think that just having policy and focus to say, no, no, w- this is what we'd like to do. Um, al- always recruiting based on skill and ability of a human, not, yes. not whether they're male or female, but of a human. Um, and then just focusing on that and, and actually having policies in place, actually being, being ready for those female workers is, is a massive way to actually move everything forward within all industries, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So that's really exciting. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, so let's go back a little bit about you. Okay. <laughs> Clearly you are um, a person that has a real passion for sailing and an ability in sailing. Let's go back to where that really started. Where did, was it in your childhood? Was it in your? Oh, we're going way back. Yeah. We're right. We have time okay. for this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Tell us so all about So I guess I could blame my father starting. I grew up, uh, he was in the Navy, not because he was a patriot, but because he read an advertisement that said, see the world, join the Navy. Okay. And so he did. Um, in his 20s, I came across a similar advertisement in my 20s, which was the Clipper Around the World race ah. that said, uh, no experience required and go sail around the world. Oh, my goodness. So for me, and that was 10 years ago, 
Okay. Um, yeah, 10 years right now, I had just probably taken off to go to do the Southern Ocean. From that Cape was your South first Africa. experience of sailing? Okay, so yes. Oh my goodness, that's <laughs> I grew big. up on a powerboat um, in the Jersey Shore. So definitely, and my dad was in maritime um, engineering, uh, safety projects, rebuilt the levees after Hurricane Katrina. So I always grew up around the water, had an appreciation Wanted to be a marine biologist okay. as a child until I took biology in high school. <laughs> and I was Wait, like, I do not want to. No, I don't want to memorize cell walls. <laughs> I wanted to go play with dolphins. Um, I went to, I had a business degree. I studied international business and Japanese in um, my university. So, no, I was not expecting to go be in sailing a sailor. I was working at Young and Rubicam, a global advertising agency in New York City. I got my dream job. It's the job I wanted. Um, and then I was like, this is it? Oh, okay, this is it. And so I saw my trajectory. If I wanted to go anywhere in the company, head down 10 years, maybe some growth. I, I came in at a high level um, serving within the executive team um, in corporate communication. So I was an executive serving the executives, but next step up was executive and I was nowhere near getting that. So come in nine to five, do your, do what you need to do and maybe you'll get there. Um, that wasn't a great offer <laughs> for an ambitious person like me in the yeah. sense of I need growth. I need something to drive me forward, not just sit and be a cog. So um, it came across my desk. Part of my job was to go through the industry news every day and put out a newsletter to our 10,000 employees around the world. And so that day just decided to check CNN. I'm going to give Shirley Robertson a, a shout out too. She did CNN main sale. They had yeah. a whole article then um, about the clip around the world race. Okay. The headline was people who leave their day job to sail around the world. I clicked it. It couldn't load fast enough the page. My yeah. heart was in my throat. I had such an emotional reaction wow. to reading this. I, was, I mean, I'm even getting a little <laughs> emotional now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was one of those moments where it was like, pay attention, pay attention to this. Yes. Because it changed my whole life trajectory. Well, it's almost like your angels knocking up, tapping oh, yeah. on your shoulder and saying, hey, yeah. you need to do this. Oh, like trust your gut. My gut was like punching me in the face. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you don't have butterflies, if you can't tell that reading an article is just giving you this absolutely emotional reaction, keep going. And so I didn't watch any videos. I didn't want to convince myself I couldn't do it. The article said, no experience required. We train you, you do all this. So I'm like, I'm doing it. I didn't want anyone to tell me no, even myself. Yeah. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell anybody I applied. Wow. I did the application. Uh, I had an interview and I wasn't expecting to get the offer at the end of the phone call to, yeah, we think you'd be a great person to be on the round the world race. Caveat. $60,000 price tag on okay. the head. I had just finished school, still had student loans, was not making anywhere near that. Um, but that was not going to, I knew what the price tag was. It was, yeah. it was strategically hidden at the end of the article. I did read the whole article. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew what I was applying for, but again, I did not want anything to prevent me or say, no, I can't do this. I just knew I had to. So I started pitching companies and I was almost about to give up. And then finally I found one that we had good alignment. I pitched them on, you know, sports um, connection in terms of cultural connections, global connections. They were a new budding sport company. And I then got 
sponsored by them to go sail around the world. And I visited different schools in each port, sharing my story and really then trying to inspire the next generation. I was 23 at the time when I did it. <laughs> so I was the youngest female to do that race from America at the time. Um, and then after all of that, we won. My team won. No way. <laughs> yeah. So we won out of 12 boats, which was amazing. I met my husband on the team. Um, so that was also amazing. And then after that, we had he was from Canada and we really wanted to continue in the professional sailing space, having just <laughs> raced around the world and not being satisfied after something like that, yeah. which is crazy. But I did not also want to peak at 23. Yes. So it was like, OK, what is after circumnavigating the world and winning a race? I didn't think I'd have a challenge like that, but cool. Um, and I was really, really lucky to have uh, my partner with me at the time because we had just gone through that together. We knew what it was and um, it, it was almost like PTSD too. Yeah. You know, they prepare you and everything. They train you for everything. Um, you get to the end of the race. It was in London for us. You get off the boat and they say goodbye. Here's yes. a party goodbye. Um, yeah. So the debriefing, the decompression, you know, all the kind of psychological stuff, having gone from your life, eat, sleep, everything, race, your team, these 20 something humans who were once strangers are now a weird level of family. Yes. Yeah, very <laughs> um, close. Now you're no longer with them. You're no longer achieving or working towards a shared mission. Um, and a lot of people, I stepped out of my career. Um, for those who did the round the world, it was not many had the chance of a sabbatical. It was a complete life change. Yeah. So it was kind of like, okay, now what? Um, and complete restart. But I didn't realize that I didn't actually leave my career in corporate communications. I just brought it to the sailing industry. So I was published uh, in Sailing World while I actually was on the clip around the world race about the Southern Ocean experience. And then I took that and my husband and our skipper from the Clipper race, we established a, um, a offshore development program in Canada, which we then later expanded into Ocean Racers, which is a international uh, training and development program. And that's uh, still going, isn't it? That is still going now. Yep. I took a pause for a year to um, work on the Magenta Project. Awesome currently doing my MBA online right now. Of course you are. I just had class until 1.30 <laughs> in the morning last night. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm one of those uh, Marsha Brady type people, um, but there's just so much in this world and opportunities. I just, I just need to go after so much. Um, so it's amazing to be part of the Magenta Project where you're part of a network and group that has that same drive, that thirst for change, the innovation, the the absolute unacceptance of the status quo. Um, and so that's the kind of person I am, the ideation, the futurism. Um, so it's amazing to be part of a program that does that. And then also having my own entrepreneurial endeavors. Yeah. Um, and then I also work for the St. Martin Heineken Regatta in managing marketing and media. So okay. I'm a person who luckily my recreation is my job. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's like me. I've got, we, we have several diff different businesses and, if you love what you do, you, you feel slightly mad because you are slightly mad because you of have course. to be slightly mad to, to, to be doing that much. But, um, but you love it. So you just, you don't mind doing it. So you just get on with it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I just want to unpack a few things in that. There was a lot. <laughs> in there because, um, okay, first Shirley Robertson, you mentioned what yes. an incredible woman she yes. is. 
Um, we have interviewed her in this on this podcast. So if anyone hasn't heard that one, please go back and have a listen to Shirley because she is an incredible um, high achieving sailor, two gold medals in a row, which is just massive. Um, but also an incredible communicator with her abilities with CNN and and her now. Um, I mean, I've seen her as an MC at the World Marinas Conference, and she is just so prepared. Oh my goodness, she's she's an incredible, um, very high detail mm-hmm. person that really does everything to the absolute best she can you know she really so she's really inspiring to listen to so we'll just point that out while we're here for sure and then your moment of of talking about coming back uh, having circumnavigated the world and suddenly feeling a bit sort of ooh, that reminds me of my interview with Kay Cotty and how she came back into Sydney Harbour and literally wanted to turn around and go back out again she did not want to get off that yacht um, so, and I think that is a really interesting, um, area where perhaps we need a bit more work done, um, for these, these major events that, that women do, um, and men do that, uh, they kind of, it kind of changes their world in mm-hmm, a way mm-hmm. and, and they come back to normality and it's a bit of a shock really, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think we. I think we all experienced this after COVID, right? Yeah. We all went through this crisis together as a global community and we never were told when the end was. We never were debriefed on it. We never came together and be like, that ended. This is what happened. This is where, this is what we're taking from it. And this is what we're taking forward. I think that that's probably one of the biggest disservices right now is because the entire world is that sailor coming off a boat just completely perplexed, trying to figure out what are we doing now in this new world? It's a world that I left and I'm, we were all on a boat during COVID yeah. and we all came back to port and it looks different. Yeah. And so what are we doing here now? And I think that that's what's missing. Uh, any corporation that would have gone through a crisis like that would have had serious debriefing, everything. Um, so I think as a society, that's kind of what's missing. And then from a, you know, a sailor perspective, an individual level, the debriefing, it's the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. every time we come back after a race, it's super important to spend that time to do that um, because it closes it too. It allows you to, any emotions and things that are part of that, you can put a bookend to it and hopefully not carry it forward. But I think that you see it in military that people who then leave service and are not properly debriefed or have the therapy or support have the PTSD can't handle because what they had, they didn't close the book. Yeah. They bring, they keep bringing it forward. And I think that those kind of skills and really just, and maybe this is a more feminine way of communicating and behaving to be able to be um, truly candid, empathetic and understanding as human beings um, that we are human beings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have vulnerabilities, um, we have needs, we have emotions. And I think that sometimes people are a little afraid because women are more comfortable with sharing and yes. men are on the opposite side of the spectrum and Absolutely. not. So how can we all come together to be able to find a happy balance where we can go through these crises together to come back and you know, reacclimate back to land life or whatever it may be um, and take that forward in a positive way. You've actually raised a really, really interesting point there because 
Um, and men, for men, it's very generational as well because the the older men were told you can't cry, you can't talk about mm-hmm. things, you can't. You certainly that's not masculine. You certainly can't admit you've got a mental issue. You know all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know I think the younger generation can be a bit harsh on them sometimes in terms of judging that mm-hmm. when in reality it's been drilled into them so hard. Right, stoicism. They, yeah, they have no way of of tapping into to mm-hmm. what the younger generation are know as being okay to talk about. So yeah, that's a really interesting point there. Um and um I've never thought about the whole COVID thing like that either. That's a really interesting way of looking at it because if you think about those young people who started a job and then a week later they were working at home mm-hmm. and they've never spent a decent amount of time in the office. So they don't really understand what that social interaction is, what it, what it's like to work as a team like that and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. Um, yeah, I've never really um, thought about how that's probably a fear-based thing that they don't, they're quite comfortable at home. They've got used to it and they, because they're having, a lot of corporations are having trouble getting people back into the office. Absolutely. So it's, um, and a, a lot of that may actually be fear-based. Absolutely. I think from both sides too, it's yeah. that um, there's a group that wants to go back to the way things were and that's not possible. Yeah. Not, we don't work that way anymore. We are more flexible. We are more wellness and well-being focused. Um, so burnout and those kind of mental health, physical health, emotional health are now very prevalent to us because we spend an entire year plus as a society focusing only on health and wellness. Yeah. So it's a very interesting shift to kind of see that. Um, but from both sides, there's one side that wants to go back to the way things were and there's another side that doesn't. Um, I personally am very help, ha- happy that remote work is now considered a viable business option because I've been trying to work remotely <laughs> for a decade and <laughs> yeah. convince other companies that wanted to have someone in the office that me being a global-minded, flexible individual is actually an asset, not a liability. But remote work is also not for everybody. Yeah. So how do you take that forward and how do we have these conversations? It's trust, it's individual, it's structure that some need, it's the flexibility that others need. But also even just going back to, you know, women in the workplace, the flexibility that has been instilled since COVID, the understanding that, hi, I have a sick child at home and I can't come to work. Previously, you could have gotten fired, X, Y, Z, gossiped about in the office over that. Uh, Now you're admired for it. And so, you know, or going to your kids' soccer games, those things that, you know, people used to miss for their own advancement. I think that now those values are shifting or shifting to more family-oriented values within the corporation and having that expressed. Um, And having that flexibility allows more women in the workplace to stay in the workplace, um, more women to develop as leaders so that they don't have to leave or choose to be a mother to then continue to be part of the team if that flexibility is allowed. And that's what a company needs to do. If she wants to work from 7 a.m., stop at 8 to go drop the kids off, come back online at 10 and be up until... 7 p.m. fulfilling all the work hours, why won't we let her? Mm. Mm. Yeah, this is it. I mean, obviously that doesn't suit every business. Of course, of course. But um, because some are simply you have to be there on the ground because it's that kind of business. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think, and it's it's also, it's an interesting environmental impact as well in that, you know, not everybody's commuting to the city of course. on transport and all those sorts of things as well. So there's a whole bunch of different advantages to it um but some disadvantages too you know that whole social interaction and 
I only have ever do my podcasts in person because I like to read the person and I like to to see where the conversation's going. That's not something you can do over Zoom. You just can't do that. No, and I agree. I For a long time, at least for the last year, all of my teams were remote. I was going to school online. I worked for the Magenta Project, all global team, and then Heineken Regatta. And I moved to St. Martin permanently yeah. <laughs> a month ago because I needed a team in person. I was not, I was struggling with the that time making the connections, not being strictly business, you know, the time in between meetings before and after where you get to find out what are your kids doing? How's your week doing? Um, so I have been integrating that into, you know, our digital connections because it's important, but it still is not the same. As you say, you can't get the same response, the same feedback. I'm a big body language person, mm -hmm. so that is almost impossible on Zoom. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I'm hawking a bunch of boxes and, you know, <laughs> being like, okay, who's shifting uncomfortably? Who's ready to speak? Should I allow them to speak? They don't want to speak up. They've been waiting to say something. They're, you know, that shift in your chair when yeah. I know, I'm like, okay, they want to say something. Yeah, so, but it's actually the cats just crawled across the lap. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, those kind of nuances. Um, and when you do have that, you know, during COVID, do we lose a little bit of the humanity side of things? Do we mm. lose our empathy because we're communicating through a digital platform and you're missing that that touch, that feeling, that sound that, you know, when you feel like, oh, that made me uncomfortable or, oh, that made me really happy. Um, that sometimes a little delayed or doesn't even exist on Zoom. Yeah. Or, the, or that you need a hug. Yes. That is <laughs> that, you know, you know, that moment when you look at somebody, and you think you need a hug. Yeah. And you give them a hug. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So, um, yeah, because humans are humans mm -hmm. yeah Let's not forget that yeah exactly right so before we continue that amazing interview with our current guest a little interlude from us here at the boat princess if you'd like to be a guest on the boat princess simply send us an expression of interest to our email at info at theboatprincess.com or send us a DM on Instagram. We are The Boat Princess on Instagram and uh, we'll send you our media kit and details as to how we work. Um, the, the podcast is incredibly popular worldwide and there is nothing like getting 45 minutes or so of somebody's ears entirely dedicated to what you're trying to achieve or perhaps what your company is trying to achieve. So we look forward to hearing from you. So, okay, so you've done the Around the World. Mm -hmm. That's your, I can't believe that's your first experience in sailing, but anyway. I went on a <laughs> sailboat us, with know, a glass of wine, <laughs> but I didn't touch any lines or anything. So Most I, of us go sailing with that in a GP14. Yeah, that's why I would do. No, but, my first boat but, was uh, a 70-footer. <laughs> it keeps getting smaller, though, so I'm definitely the opposite of the opti track. <laughs> but it just proves there's many pathways into the sport. Exactly right. So, so that you've done that. What's next? That's the greatest question. Um... I actually, during COVID, I learned to not obsess with not what's next because okay. there was a year long period where that was not an answerable question. Yeah. Um, and as a futurist, as a Capricorn, as somebody who always wants to be planning, scheming, everything. Yeah. That was an extremely difficult thing to learn. Yeah. Uh, it was not a skill that I had anywhere near mastered or even accepted. I did not want to accept 
discomfort. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the stagnation. Yes. <laughs> that yeah. to me was how, that's how you grow dust. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that was, that was a challenge, but now I, I really enjoy now. Yeah. I enjoy, it's amazing what the Magenta Project is doing right now, um, but the future, there's a big future for the Magenta Project uh, in developing and really bringing on more industry leaders and um, getting them involved in in this cause because yeah. we need that. Yeah. So that's the next big step for me over the next a year or so to be bringing industry partners, also bringing these solutions into the corporate world. So I went from corporate world to sailing and yes. wow, I want to go back to corporate Yeah, because um, I found that the parallels between onboard and the boardroom are incredible. Right. Um, a co-ed professional sport, one of the only <laughs> at this global level, there's a lot to learn and a lot to take from team dynamics feminine versus masculine leadership. I have a leadership quality. I've taken tests before to understand what is my style. My style is command leadership, which works amazing on a boat, but doesn't work the best with all different types of culturals, yep. cultures, you know, and, yep. and cultural um, understandings or preferences. So the command leadership style that is uniquely me uh, works in certain contexts and sometimes gets me in trouble <laughs> as a young female where some uh, other, you know, generations or uh, whoever may not love to receive that um, from somebody they don't expect to or yeah. haven't been conditioned to receive that style. Um, so for me, it's all, you know, self-reflection. I've done a lot of leadership development. Um, so I think the personal journey for me able to be able to see that, how I work with different cultures from volunteers, employees, crew who join my boat, who I recruit to, you know, sail with me. Hey, you're about, you're a stranger. I'm on a phone call now with you and I'm about to say whether or not I want you on my boat for a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this far away from my face, you know, cooking and, and hosting you in my home. Yes. So that's something that, you know, understanding the recruitment process, the team building, team ethos, and that parallel to corporate ethos. That's what I really want to bring um, back to the business world because there's so many great learnings. And if we can figure out how to make men and women work together in harmony off in the middle of the ocean where Mother Nature is trying to destroy you, the boat may not be playing game either, um, and that you actually have to work on it as a team or you will fail. Um, that I think is what it's critical, right? It is actually life or death out there. And having then also coming off watch and putting your life in someone else's hands and that trust that you have with your crew. I think that taking that to then corporations and when they talk about risk and all those kind of things, mm -hmm. yeah, let's put it in perspective. And then how do you build a team that can survive crises, that can overcome, uh, you know, just challenges um, and also manage risk in, in the best way for the team. And tolerate one in each each other on it because when you're out sailing and you're you've done you're doing your four on four off and all that mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff um sorry guys that's you know four hours on sailing four hours sleeping um that you get really tired and cranky and, oh, yeah. and everybody reaches their their sort of um tolerant levels are much tolerance levels much much lower than they would normally be so it's it's working together with people understanding how to be less reactionary, mm -hmm. less um, aggressive because you're, even though you're really tired, you've still got to be 
a nice person to be around. A hundred percent. Well, what's really funny is that actually um, towards the beginning of the race, it was clear that my husband and I were kind of close. We were the youngest people on the boat. So we would go out and, you know, we'd go out in the parties and <laughs> when we got to port together. We we're 23 yeah. on a race around the world. Of course, we were having fun. Yeah. But we were purposefully put on separate watches, whatever. That's fine. Yeah. Um, so we actually, for an entire year, would on the boat only engage with each other at each other's worst moment of the day. So he would either wake me up or I would wake him up or something. We would see each other within those moments where it's like, don't speak to me. I am at my worst. Um, And that's how we (laughs) would engage with each other in the sense that, and people ask, oh, how do you run a business together and live on a boat? Well, our relationship started with understanding that. each other in our worst moments. Yeah. And that that's, you know, and we also had on our, our team uh, the four agreements. Um, and that was, you know, basically understanding that, uh, you know, you always bring your best and that sometimes your best is going to be different day to day. And also understanding that somebody else's best will be different day to day. And I think that, you know, just having that experience um, was really eye opening too. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, Because you can see, you see your crew members in the worst of it. And you also were just that person that was being woken up. So you come to wake them up tenderly, you know, and you know, you want to get in that bed too. So um, being late for watch, for example, sometimes people don't realize, you know, when you're late, oh, it's just affecting me, blah, blah, blah. On a boat, if you're late for watch, you're stealing somebody else's sleep time. Yeah. And that really like emphasizes the responsibility, accountability within the team. And just that and that you know, accountability to your team member um, is what drives those extremely close team dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So you've met your now husband yes. on that round the world race. You've, you've finished the round the world race. Tell us what happened at that point in your lives. Oh, so we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> um, we decided to travel a little bit. We went actually, um, we wanted a pogo. And that was in 2014 where we finished the race. Just explain what a pogo oh, well, is. Pogo 12.5. It is a uh, French made beautiful boat. Um, it is a monohull, uh, 40 foot with a 15 foot beam. It, it looks like it's like a class 40 is the same whole mold. Uh, but with a cruising interior so we could live on it. And uh, we really loved that boat in terms of just what we heard about it and knowing it could be double-handed, we can go do our own thing. We didn't know exactly what our own thing was. We had many ideas. So we just went and test drove the boat and uh, fell in love with it. And then two years later, we ended up buying one. So it was kind of like, you know, planting the seed, but trusting the universe. And in between, we ran an Amoka program. (laughs) And that was another thing that was just, Oh, well, the world will, the universe will provide you with all the opportunities you deserve. It's really your responsibility to seize them. So that's what it was for us is that we had an amazing opportunity through connections in Canada that there was this Canadian built Amoka that was available and needed help (laughs) to resurrect and bring her back to the other side of uh, coast to coast from Canada. And we put a team together raise funds. Um, and yeah, we were the only Canadian team at the time to do that. And it was all youth-based program. And that for us has really like, we wanted, we created something. It's like the Magenta Project. We created something for ourselves and our need. And that we saw 
it was really not a lot of next generation. So our whole thing was youth development and then seeing that need and how we could fulfill it, seeing Clipper as a training platform, but being one of the few ones. And so we kind of took that model and uh, optimized it to the platform we wanted to offer, took it from Canada then to, you know, the Mocha 6, you were trying to do this, raising funds, executive crew, and it was not a good training platform because of the costs associated and how high performance and the aging boat. Then we went to the Pogo 12.5. So, you know, sometimes like the model may not work because it might not be the right platform. It might not be the right time. It might not be the right message. So there's many times where I've failed at one thing and have come back around. Um, the university I'm at right now rejected me 15 years ago in undergraduate, wow. but I applied again and I got yep. in. So, you know, it doesn't, you can still achieve your goals if you think that they're worthy enough to continue to revisit. Yeah. Love that. So the Pogo, you have yes. the Pogo. Yes. You're Hermes. living on it as well as? I lived on it for six, seven years through COVID actually. Spent lockdown in St. Martin, Ooh. which may sound like a dream if your business is in, in sports, travel, and events, uh -huh. which then were all canceled for an yeah. uh, indeterminate amount of time. It yep. ended up being uh, over a year for us. And for me and my husband, we were both wrapped up in the same business. Yeah. So there's no diversification. We our business got shut down within a notification that went out yeah. <laughs> globally. Um, and that was a week, it was a week after Heineken Regatta, and it was a week and a half before the BVI Spring Regatta, where I had crew that were supposed to be coming in and money spent. So yeah, it was tough. <laughs> it was tough, but then yeah. that was an experience where there was nothing I could do. It did not matter how hard I tried or whatever. It was literally just circumstances that were unchangeable. And so then there's a level of acceptance and then trying to figure out, okay, do you just accept and wait or do you accept and pivot, accept and try something else? So there was a lot of that, <laughs> a lot of all the above. <laughs> so did you pivot? Um, I think, yeah, I definitely, I pivoted with my, with just my attention um, in terms of, wow, okay. We had had a lot of growth. Uh, we had a couple of setbacks in the business initially. Our first season running in the Caribbean was post Irma. Just to explain to the listeners what you actually did in your business. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, Ocean Racers is an offshore training and racing program. So we would have individuals or teams joining us for either offshore passages. So it's about a week long between New York City and Bermuda, for example. We've, we did that trip many times, New York City, Bahamas. We would do it uh, twice a year usually. And so people would join us to sometimes go offshore overnight for the first time, cross a body of water, you know, big ocean uh, level for the first time. We've had, yeah, transatlantic crossings. We sailed uh, 4,000 miles away from home to participate in the Rolex Middle Sea Race. 2018, it was an all-youth team from North America. So it was amazing just to get there under yeah. our own keel. And uh, it was a incredible, uh, double-handed to get through the Mediterranean. We did a whole uh, a documentary series. So if you're interested, what happens on a boat like this with young people trying to achieve a dream goal together? Um, it's called Surviving the Middle from okay. Ocean Racers. And so that was our whole Middle Sea Race Journey. And then where can they find that? That's on YouTube. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So you can go on YouTube, Ocean Racers, uh, Surviving the Middle, and follow our team of, you know, under 30s <laughs> who uh, took on two um, husband and wife couples, actually, 
and uh, co-business owners as well. So you get to see a little bit of those dynamics. Um, mixed crew, male, female, all young and enthusiastic and in a space uh, world, you know, that part of the Mediterranean we'd never <laughs> raced in before. And uh, so it was a really crazy experience. And then coming out of it, there's also the, the raw version <laughs> of my hand cam when my husband and I were just double-handed leaving Malta to get back to um, out <laughs> to leave the Mediterranean because it's November that time. Yep. Highly unrecommend sailing in the Mediterranean around in November. <laughs> uh, there's many, many weather reasons. There's medicanes and things like that. Um, so, yeah, we got into one of those. Mm -hmm. It went from 40 knots upwind to 50, 60, 70, 80. Ouch. Boat knocked over completely. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we, it was it was insane. So, yeah, that one's called The Time We Almost Died in the Med. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but that was a full raw, like, hand cam one, you know, Blair yeah. Witch Project level. <laughs> um, before and after, because I was not picking up a camera in the middle of it. Yeah. Uh, at one point, we had just the storm jib up. Um, and I'm driving the boat because autopilot is not functioning at this point. So I'm driving. Um, my husband is dealing with the sails. The main sail is just like shattered at the at the leech. So just completely torn from flogging. We got the main sail down. He's working on the tri sail. So these are the the orange sails that are like the emergency sails. Yes. Yep. Maybe see them in Sydney Hobart race. Yep. And so, um, yeah, he was, we had the storm jib up. I had turned away from the wind um, because I couldn't handle upwind. So turned away from the wind to kind of, and also get the boat surfing the waves rather than being broadsided by them. Yeah, because that's and, really dangerous. Yeah, just the storm jib up, no mainsail. I was heading back towards Malta doing 17 knots. <gasps> just the storm jib. Wow. It, it, you wouldn't expect a boat of that size to be, ca be capable it's of that speed. because she was surfing so hard, and I was just, uh, she's, she's a uh, flat she shouldn't bottom, be. So Physic, in, in the law of physics, she shouldn't be able to go that fast, right? She, could, she does go that fast when, yeah. you know, we have full sail plan. Okay. I can, okay. I've been, I've done, you know, over 20 knots in the boat. Just, okay. Just like, yeah, crushing it. Amazing. I was yep. not trying to. I was actually like yeah. heading the boat like a horse, yeah. like, whoa, girl, I could not slow this boat down. We tried. We tried to have no sails up essentially we just had a storm jib up um but yeah being surfing and uh, being put on those waves and my objective was just put the boat on the wave correctly yes. and surf it and just yeah. make sure that i maintain the pressure in the jib so that i don't lose the momentum yes and yeah that was 17 knots back towards malta and i'm like oh, please i just want to get out of the med oh my goodness <laughs> I didn't wow that's going big. that way yeah so yeah. yeah and we're in the middle of a tss traffic separation scheme where you should only cross it perpendicularly and our AIS is off. So we're doing pan pan telling everybody in that we have no control over our vessel and they're like, good luck. We're watching you. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was a time. But wow. yeah, it's often those times where like, you know, the boat, I always say this boat is stronger than our crew yeah. because she's been through that yeah. and I know. But then also it built my confidence. So 40 knots, psh, no problem. No 50, problem. I mean, I'm paying attention. Yeah. 60, I know I survived. 70, 80, I never want to see again. See again. But yeah. also, I know it's survivable. And I think that that's also how you build confidence and everything offshore. 
it, your, your oh shit meter just continues <laughs> to raise. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like, okay, my baseline used to be this and I used to be afraid of 30 knots and yes. now that's child's play yeah. and it keeps going higher. Um, I, I hope that there is a limit personally, yeah. Yeah. but being on the clipper around the world race and doing the Pacific leg actually, um, I had not realized that I was setting limits for myself and that my body was capable of way more. But if I did start doubting it, was there, there's that Eisenhower, or I forget who it was, one of the American presidents or something said something like, if you believe you can, or if you believe you can't, you're right. You're right. Yeah, exactly right. You know, yeah. and so that kind of thing is just like, for me, that's what it was. And that's what I dug into. And also, this may be a little woo woo, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. <laughs> we don't mind, Wei. Good. Um, I really tapped into what I felt were internal energy houses. Yep. So a physical energy house, a mental energy house, and an emotional one. And knowing that actually you could top up ones that are depleting by sourcing from the other. So if you are physically depleted, your mental and emotional strength can top up that physical energy house and vice versa, you can also deplete it. So if you mentally think that you're exhausted, you will start feeling that way too. Absolutely. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it's very interesting to kind of like, I actually was thinking internally, what is my fuel meter in each of these different houses and checking in and seeing which one needed a top up and then how I could take from one to the other and share some. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because often our bodies physically give up, but if yeah. mentally we're strong, we can keep it going. So. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what athletes do all the time. Absolutely. Right? All the time. Yeah. So, okay. So you've had some pretty amazing sailing experiences. Um, when you, when you talk about the business, you know, crews coming on board, so do they pay to come on board yes. or do you get sponsored or how, do, how does that work? So it is a, um, a, I wouldn't say for-profit business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would always say it supports a lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't recommend anyone getting into charter businesses for um, profit. Yeah. Um, but it is it supports the the boat. Um, and now also it, it's a critical point, right? So yeah. once we've paid off the boat, then we can get to the point of generating some more revenue and everything. Um, but yeah, people join for, to join us for a week. And mm -hmm. I, when I'm doing my recruitment calls, when people apply, usually spend an hour asking them what their sailing goals are. Um, because um, whether, even, they, whether they're going to be okay without a hairdryer. <laughs> these are the kind of things that, <laughs> what kind of, uh, expedition type of things have you done? You know? it's, it's like extreme chartering. Isn't absolutely. It? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, for, especially our big trips from New York to either Bermuda or Bahamas, we cross the Gulf stream and I don't yeah. think people really understand what that means. Yeah. It is a nasty, unforgiving piece. Uh, I've crossed it probably 15 times now. It feels like each time is different. Windover current is the worst forecast you can get. I've had square waves. I've had rogue waves. I've had, yeah, absolutely insane or motoring across, which is like what you yeah. always hope for. Um, so, yeah, I think that it, it's it's putting people in experiences that they want to put th through themselves um, to gain that confidence so that they can then maybe do it. So we yeah. have plenty of boat owners who join us who are like, I have a boat. I want to actually go sailing, you know, get down to the Caribbean. Yeah. But I've only ever gone through the Long Island Sound or I've only ever gone as far as Florida. So what am I doing? And 
I think it's really about experiencing it for yourself to then see what don't, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then when you start to know, okay, now I know what I don't know and how can I build that and supplement or train or whatever. And that's really what we offer. And it's kind of like a, a point along that pathway. Um, but also going back to understanding people's goals, uh, what their personal goals are. A lot of times we do races. I okay. cannot guarantee. I, it's very difficult to get a group full of strangers who have one, two days of training to be a high performance winning team. Of course. My boat also, there's handicap ratings. It's not, <laughs> it's not a, a rule breaker or, uh, you know, rating um, designed for the rating. So I have to manage expectations too. And sure. the best thing for me, because a lot of people, oh, sailing or racing is about winning. I need to make sure that the people who join my boat, that that is not their primary goal. And if it is, then I explain to them that that's not what I can deliver on. But what I can deliver on is the training, the experience <clears throat> and everything. And so for, um, you know, that's where I think even companies really need to dive into that mm. um, because there are corporate goals profits, metrics, whatever, but there are individual team members with individual motivations. And if you don't know what those are, you don't know how to serve that team member. You don't know how that team member then serves the team mission if it's not in alignment with the company mission. And so I think that that's, and what kind of my next steps is, how do I take that process that I went through of making complete strangers functioning team members how do I create that team environment before they even step on board the boat through communications, through messaging, positioning, everything, the actual getting them onboarded, mm -hmm. <laughs> that onboarding idea, it's getting on board. The same thing with, uh, with companies. So mm -hmm. actually working on a book right now entitled that cool. to get on board and working through um, the parallels between team building on board a race boat and what companies can learn from that. Absolutely, because it literally is called onboarding. Exactly. Yeah. You took it from yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or showing them the ropes. Right? Exactly. Showing them the ropes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think sailing is a, a, an incredible thing for kids to, to do. Um, I, I went to an event at the Cruising Yacht Club of Australia um, before we traveled over to Europe um, just a couple of months ago. And when we came in, there were 12 boats and all these young people that were actually competing to be in the America's Cup and the Youth Challenge and the, and the Females Challenge in the America's Cup. It was a camp for that. And they all came in and they were all clearing up the boats, putting them away, putting the sails away. And I looked at all these young people <laughs> taking responsibility and tidying something up mm -hmm. and thought, oh, wow, this is we should have every teenager sailing. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> because um, it's fundamentals, taking care of things, making sure that everything's done correctly and responsibility mm -hmm. for your teammates um, that the boat's ready for the next one. Absolutely. You know, so um, I think there's so much in sailing and I think I think we really need to push sailing as as something that kids should do because – it teaches them so much. Absolutely. Just so much. But even yeah. I think also back to corporations too, I've seen corporate team building on sailboats and it's amazing because you have CEOs being humbled or working alongside their lower level employees. 
It's a matter of understanding systems too and how everyone functions and has a role. But if that one role can't fulfill, then the job can't be completed. Yeah. The evolution cannot be gone through. Yeah. And so it's really important to understand not only that, but a respect for every role on the boat that you can't do everything either. Yeah. That offshore, especially that skippers need to sleep. Yeah. That CEOs need to allow their <laughs> CEOs need to sleep. They need to yeah. allow their employees to have the accountability, um, the empowerment to be able to also keep the ship running. And I think that there are yeah, a lot of things that from kids to adults <laughs> can, yeah. can humbly learn from uh, being on a boat with other people in nature. Including resilience. Absolutely. Big level of <laughs> resilience. Yeah. So this has been a fascinating conversation. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We have done a whole 56 minutes. Amazing. So <laughs> we better finish up and let our uh, amazing listeners get back to what they normally do. Um, they, um, I've had some fantastic feedback from our listeners recently. They really enjoy the podcast and I certainly enjoy putting it together and I, I absolutely adore meeting people like yourself who've got such great stories to tell. Um, and uh, the Magenta Project is, is something that everybody needs to know about, um, especially women. Um, and I guess, um, we need to tell them, therefore, um, where can they find you? Absolutely. So, um, I hope you can find us at some international events, um, but we'll always let you know, you can follow us at the Magenta Proj, <laughs> yeah. um, the project.org. So we are on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and we have Facebook groups. We have WhatsApp groups to connect women who are interested in different things. Our mentoring program is annual. We're currently in the second month of our sixth cycle. So if anyone's interested in applying to join the mentoring program, look out applications open every August. And uh, we look forward to receiving some new applicants from around the world. And what help does Magenta Project need at this point? Uh, the Magenta Project always needs support on a variety of levels, everything from mentors. Um, we always are looking for new mentors to join us. We just launched And by a mentors, you mean really good sailors? That exactly. Have, yeah. People like yourself who are, uh, we have Nick Douglas, who is a mentor. Yeah, within, she's great, isn't you know, she? She's looking after Maddie, isn't she? She in had Australia. Maddie last year and yeah. now she has uh, Arisa, who is from Japan. Fantastic. Um, so actually, I brought in Nick initially because we wanted to do more media training. But Nick is one of those great connectors yeah, and a is. lot of these women just need that. So um, both of her mentees have been based in Sydney and she's done an incredible job. She's making an those amazing bundle of energy Nick, too, isn't she? She's an yeah. advocate. She's, you know, um, an ambassador. She she is there and and the guys love her, the girls yeah. love her, you know, yeah, and those are the Nick. kind of more people and personalities that we need to put out there um, yeah. and making, you know, it, everybody feel comfortable uh, with each other. And so, yeah, I think that that's like a really big thing and in, in getting for more mentors. If you are an expert within the maritime industry, we may not have a mentee for you this year, but we, we put you in the database or we reach out. We have clinics, workshops, webinars. Uh, we bring in experts all the time. We're looking for corporate partners and that can be from the industry level who want to support our programs like the 69F uh, foiling team that just recently launched to our mentoring program, any of these clinics. We do panel discussions. We did a whole series for the Around the uh, Ocean Race. Um, and then, yeah, donors, of course. Yes, um, of course. We do a lot based on, you know, people donating their time. So we always welcome that. 
but funds are always critical and um, very appreciated. And we are very grateful for the funds we have received from private endowments to just recently, we got the Dame Charity of the Year Award here at Mets. Which yeah, we that was great, grateful. wasn't it? So amazing. And yeah. less than 24 hours earlier, we received the 11th Hour Sustainability Award at World Sailing. So these are, these are moments where it's like, hey, you know, the industry is now paying attention. So if you're listening, if you're interested, please get in touch. Um, contact at magentaproject.org is the first, uh, I'm, the, I'm the gatekeeper. So I'll pass you along to whoever if you're interested. Um, and we welcome everyone to, to join this global community and shared mission. Thank you so much, Meg. So great to have you on the podcast. Really appreciate your time. You can advertise your business right here on the Boat Princess podcast. We have a targeted audience of boaters and those in the boating industry that you can talk to through our advertising, in between interviews, or perhaps throughout the season as a message in our intros and outros. So if you'd like to get involved in getting your business advertised on the Boat Princess podcast, which has a worldwide audience of around 31,000 listeners a month, then we'd love to hear from you. Contact us on info at theboatprincess.com. We offer packages from one announcement on one podcast right up to the entire season. I look forward to sharing a message about your amazing business to our audience like to support us in a small way the best way you can do that is by reviewing the podcast or if you go to my website theboatprincess.com and click on support the podcast you'll be able to buy me a coffee and that will help this passion project be funded for just a while longer Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Boat Princess podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you'd like to know more about what I do and where I am, then you can follow me on Instagram at the Boat Princess. You can also sign up to my newsletter on my website, which is theboatprincess.com. Take care of yourselves, everyone, and hopefully we'll see you on the water soon.